0: Screen Time
1: with John Fardy This is News Talk.
2: Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. This week on the show, the creators of the gripping new Netflix documentary, The Tinder Swindler. Mark Ryle reviews The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and singer-songwriter Alton Conlon chats to me about his favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud, and it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. I had some pretty serious dental surgery this week myself. I'm not talking about like a root canal, or I'm talking about under the knife, an implant, stitches, sedation antibiotics the real deal I'm going to sound like Baz Lorman here but if I can give you one piece of advice please take care of your teeth I mistreated my teeth or just paid them no attention till about the age of 28 <laughs> and that caused a serious amount of problems for the next uh, 18 years or thereabouts so uh, take care of your teeth uh, I, you know Tony Soprano's bemoaning all the money he spent on therapy to Dr. Melfi in one of the Sopranos episodes. And he's going, you know, I could have bought a sports car. I know how he feels when it comes to my teeth. A lot of geniuses are obsessed or were obsessed with their teeth. like People like Freud and Joyce apparently were obsessed with their teeth. So, you know, maybe I'm a late-blooming genius or perhaps an early moron. Maybe, Maybe that's more accurate. Now, in TV, I was watching this. Please welcome, Pamela
0: Anderson! Did you know anything at all about Mr. Lee before you met him?
1: I knew he
3: was the drummer for Molly Cruz. Did you find him attractive? I like to smile.
4: I still do.
2: We're so good together, Pamela.
4: To everlasting
2: love! We have recently come into possession of a piece of material.
3: This is so private. It's like we're seeing something we're not supposed to be seeing. Nobody's ever getting rich off a celebrity
0: sex tape. What if we sold it someplace nobody could find us? A website. A what site? It's this thing on the computer. People will order the tape directly from us.
2: Yes, now that's a clip from the big TV release of the week, Pam and Tommy streaming on Disney Plus. The first three episodes are there. You've probably heard about this. This tells the wild story of the romance and marriage and subsequent divorce of Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee, the drummer with Motley Crue, who were a wildly successful rock band. I, I couldn't even name one of their songs, to be honest with you, but they were huge. Pamela Anderson is played by Lily James. She's brilliant as... Pamela Anderson, this Lily James, like she acts really well and she looks completely like her, it's it's spine tingling and obviously it deals with the leaking of the famous sex tape that they made and how it went on the internet you know, this is kind of daft, it's the first, I've only watched two episodes of it so I just watched the first two there are a load more to come it's daft, it's kind of almost Quentin Tarantino style, if that's not doing Quentin Tarantino a disservice it shows them coming together and how raucous their whole union was they got married after four days of knowing each other at least as this is portrayed on the show and subsequently from what I gather it's going to get into the fallout of the sex tape and how in a way Pamela Anderson suffered a lot more from that because there was an awful bias against her because she was a woman in a sex tape and she was seen as some kind of harlot whereas Tommy Lee was praised as being a rock sex god so that was pretty awful stuff It hasn't got to that in the first two episodes. It's just their bizarre, crazy union and their amorpho, their crazy, almost unhealthy love for each other. And also Seth Rogen stars, particularly in the first episode, as a carpenter in their house who basically comes across the sex tape. It's bizarre at times. You have Tommy Lee's character, who I should say is played by Sebastian Stan, talking to his penis. So that's the kind of stuff you're dealing with. But it was really watchable uh, two episodes in. I mean, you're never bored. So I'm going to stick with it. Uh, Do let me know if you might have been watching Now Streaming on Disney+. Plus, Also on TV this week, I watched the finale, the final episode of And Just Like That, the sequel to Sex and the City, which has been running for 10 weeks. You know, I watched the whole 10 episodes with my wife because she was a big Sex and the City fan, as was I. I'm not saying I watched it with my wife because, you know, she was more into it than I was. I adored Sex and the City. And when I watched the first episode 10 weeks ago, I said to you, it was fine. Uh, it wasn't bad, but it there's just a hollow feeling that they really didn't need to do this. And having watched all 10 episodes and having watched the finale, which had some nice emotional touches, I suppose, I'm still left... With that hollow feeling. That they should have just left it alone. uh, You know, Sex and the City was this almost organic thing that became greater than the sum of its parts and was adored and was part of the zeitgeisty conversation back in the 90s and noughties. And they should have just left it where it was. And there's even talk of a second series of and just like that. So it's kind of a thumbs down for me. It was fine, but I just don't think... They should have bothered. But I'd love to know what you might have thought. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle or you can email me screen time at newstalk.com. And finally then, I just want to mention the great success in the BAFTA nominations this week, obviously for Belfast with Katrina Balfe, but Ruth Negga as well for passing. And I was delighted to see Jessie Buckley for her role in Lost Order on Netflix. Jessie Buckley, I've interviewed her before. She is one of the nicest people in Irish movie making business. She really is a delight and someone who's just chuffed to be doing what she's doing and committed to it, but but so grateful it seems and, and just loving being an actress. So hats off to her and hopefully she brings home a BAFTA or maybe Ruth Neger will. We will see great reaction last week to our Dune competition where we're giving away copies of the DVD and a goodie bag as well, which included like Dune face masks and beanies. So if Anne-Marie Kane was in touch with you You'll know you were one of the winners If you weren't, sorry about that we got loads of entries to it though So uh, maybe next time Now, take a listen to this
3: You can find a bit of everything on Tinder But one little swipe Can change your life
1: I only miss you when it rains
3: When I first talked with Simon Immediately we had a bond and
1: when I to the rain
3: He was smart and funny and very impulsive. I shared my whole heart with him. And then he asked me if I wanted to travel with him. on a private jet. I was like, shit. He took me to a five-star hotel. He said we had a special connection. It felt like stepping into a movie. And then in the middle of the night, he said there was something he wants to tell me. He said he has threats against him. He needs our cash. $20,000. $30,000. $140,000. His life depended on me. That's when police tell me the man I love was never real. Everything's a lie.
2: Now that's a clip of the new Netflix documentary The Tinder Swindler, which is, as the name and the clip there implies, all about a guy on Tinder who's not a very nice man. He's called, supposedly, Simon Levy. And he's a big deal in the diamond world, or he claims to be. And he befriends various women he matches with them on Tinder. And in this documentary, two of them in particular, two Scandinavian ladies by the name of Cecile and Pernilla, fall for him hook line and sinker and he has a seriously clever scam going he flies them on private jets he takes them on holidays he really has a clever scam going if that's not a weird way of putting it And the victims in this case of this scam are, you know, not the type of people I think we all think of when we think about victims of scams. They're not gullible. They're smart, successful, independently, financially wealthy women who are just looking to find companionship. But because this scam is so well put together uh, they fall for it and all sorts of things happen and this documentary it's only two hours two hours and five minutes I think it is is brilliant because it kind of seems to happen in real time almost. And you uncover stuff just the way these poor, unfortunate women uncover stuff about this guy, Simon. As I say, a really good watch. It's directed by Felicity Morris. She was the producer on another fine Netflix documentary, Don't F with Cats, Hunting a Serial Killer, from about a year or two years ago, which we reviewed on this show. And its producer is an Irish lady called Bernie Higgins, who was involved in another great Netflix documentary called Fear City all about the mafia in the New York in the 1970s and 80s I got to speak to these two ladies Felicity Morris and Bernadette Higgins about the great new documentary The Tinder Swindler. So Felicity if I can start with you was there a moment like or when was the moment when you were reading about this story and you thought I have to make a movie about this or I have to direct a a documentary about this because this is incredible or did it happen somehow differently than that?
4: It happened exactly like that. Um, The Norwegian newspaper VG had Mm -hmm. done their piece about Penilla and Cecilia's story, and that went viral. Um, And so then we read about it here, sort of more of a headline story, headline grabbing, you know, Tinder Playboy cons women out of millions. Um, And I think when we read that, our our jaws sort of dropped to the floor. You know, what on earth is this? How does this happen? Um, And just really wanted to find out more. And then met Cecilia and Penilla. And we were just blown away actually by the two of them and how um, courageous, funny, Mm. smart, Mm. um, cosmopolitan. Um, you know, these women are sort of my age, um, you know, professional young girls who'd been taken in by this, you know, man on Tinder. And I think that we were very, very interested to understand how the con happened. Um, and as we, you know, started looking into the story, we realized that, you know, there's so many more kind of tangents and, uh, roads to go down, and um, that, you know, that sort of, in a way, Cecilia and Pinilla's, that first VG article was sort of just the tip of mm. the of the iceberg when it comes to Simon Levive.
2: Yeah, and Bernie, as Felicity suggests there, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg, but we see how the game he played was played out, like it's played out for us all to see as viewers, and, you know, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but... Because you go, because your initial reaction is, you know, something like when people get scammed by people claiming they're the prince of Nigeria or somewhere, semi, and you kind of laugh and go, like, who does this? And on a top line Tinder swinder, you might think the same thing. And then the movie really shows how almost, like, it was a genius scam in a way. I know that's a terrible thing to say about this scumbag, but mm. it was incredibly clever the way he did it and and as uh, again as Felicity said these were too smart and are too smart professional women who had lots of their own money as well were you mystified or or beguiled maybe is the wrong word just the scamming aspect of it it was kind of ingenious and i know that's the wrong way to describe it no
1: i understand because we've we've grappled with the same issue ourselves you know he is a bit of a we don't want to give him the moniker of genius or a no i know, that. But I, know I, that but I understand exactly what you're saying it's like if he was able to apply the same level of thought and planning and strategy he could run a you know, a blue chip company. Yeah, but yeah. Unfortunately, he's chosen to take it down quite a dark path and just destroy as many lives as he possibly can on his way. So I guess the, the, the thing is, we're all, we've all become very kind of versed when it comes to the classic online catfish. And yes. now everyone's watched every episode of Catfish and heard about all of these stories. And we all feel like we're very, you know, we can all spot those. What we have to remember about Simon is that he takes it offline very quickly. Mm-hmm. So they meet him online. They arrange to meet up with him, but then, you know, what doesn't usually in a catfish, the moment you meet them, that's when the game is up Yeah. But Simon, the moment you meet him, that's when the game really starts yeah. because you're entering your own version of the Truman show. You know, yeah. it's like there's a cast of characters around him who are verifying who he says he is in terms of referring to him as boss and Mr. Levi and all the rest, but not only that, He's traveling around in Rolls Royces yeah. and private jets. And he's, he's constantly in lots of different exotic locations all over the world. So, you know, he's clearly good for it. You know, he clearly mm. does have some money. Yeah. So really the real deception with Simon is, is more the Ponzi scheme aspect mm. of it. Because everything that you're seeing is real. Mm. It's just that he's not paying for it. Mm. So it becomes much harder to spot red flags when it's that kind of intricate. And when there's that much going on yeah. Unless you're a very, very cynical person or this, I mean, I don't, it's really hard to know even at this stage where the mistakes were made or where the red flag mm. should have been, to be honest I with know, you, because I, know. I think it's very hard for anyone to think that, well, you know, because it, it all happened, this, this all happened and it wasn't online, it was and in real life.
2: I should say for listeners, when Cecile meets him for the first time, he takes her on a private jet like to Budapest or Bulgaria. Like it's it's incredible just the level of detail that he had and he had the money, albeit not his. You know, I uh, got married in 2010, so I was right before there's a reason why I'm telling you this. I was right before. this Tinder explosion and online debts. And, you know, watching something like this, I'm awfully glad that I was. But at the same time, you know, you can be very, or I could be very po-faced about it. I mean, Tinder has brought lots of people together for all sorts of reasons, and it has worked as well. But we also have what what happens in your movie. I mean, do you guys have a, what's your sense of Tinder having spent a few years looking at this story? Or maybe it's it's hard to give a blanket statement on it, but is is Tinder a force for good or for bad in the world?
4: I think it's a force for good. I think that you know, we say you know we'd love to meet someone in a bar. We'd love some to meet somebody you know stumbling down the street and yeah. fall into you know a doctor's <laughs> arms who you know fixes <laughs> your ankle. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, unfortunately, it doesn't often happen like that. You know, there isn't this sort of traditional meet cute that like yeah. there is in the movies. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you know Tinder has proven to be you know an incredible and other dating sites have been you know incredibly helpful in matching people up with their soulmates with their Mm -hmm. you know love love you know people who they fall in love with um i think the one thing that we have always felt with this film is like we don't want to blame dating sites and i mean it's amazing that cecilia comes out at the end saying that i know she still loves love she still wants to find the right person and she's
2: still on twitter or, or Tinder I mean
4: Still on Tinder, oh, that could be a angel. problem <laughs> <laughs> um, you know this isn't the moral of the story isn't you yeah. know don't trust anybody no, don't no. leave your homes um, you know expect that everybody is going to be like Simon Levi yeah. because they're not you know these girls and the other victims of his, his just got incredibly unlucky they swiped on the very 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 wrongest
1: yeah website. and it's also it's it's worth noting that Simon has also a lot of victims that he did not meet online. Yeah. yeah. That he did yeah. meet in bars, yeah. or that he did meet through work, or that he did meet, you know, IRL. So. Yeah. I guess the moral of the story is don't go on Tinder. The moral of the story is don't entertain Simon Levi for <laughs> yeah. any amount of time at all. Just avoid, yeah. avoid.
2: And let's be honest, and most people who scam aren't quite as thorough as he is. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of a one in a million chance that you would bump into him. T- tell me this, because uh, I don't want to give a spoiler because you know, and, and in the world we live in, knowing what's happened to everyone is a click away now. You know what I mean? So I would urge people, watch your movie, then maybe listen to this interview. But I have to ask, Simon, we know, was asked to comment on it. He, he said no. Do you know if he's seen it yet? He, won't
4: yeah. seen it he yet. hasn't seen the film, so it hasn't come
2: out yet. Well, it hasn't, that's true. They hardly sent him a screener like they did me.
4: <laughs> but I mean,
2: he's he's he flatly refused to talk to you. Is that right?
4: It was no. a, yeah, it was a sort of <laughs> strange experience really. We, you know, we knew that we were making a film that makes allegations against him. We knew that mm. we wanted to give him the opportunity to say his part. Um, we certainly, you know, we never wanted this to be a platform for him to plead his victimhood in this.
2: Yeah.
4: Um, and yeah, we just sort of, I spoke to him at one point he messaged us, we went back and forwards with a media lawyer, um, then things went quiet, then things picked up again, then things went quiet. Um, so it sort of never really, nothing really materialised. As much as we gave him the opportunity, mm. um, he made it difficult for himself and, um, you know, tried to convince us all the while that he was also... Taking part in a, a Netflix documentary that he was being paid millions for, that was following him around, um, wow. discovering more about his uh, business ventures and life as a successful entrepreneur. Um,
2: and this isn't happening, I'm assuming, right?
4: It isn't Not, that we well. <laughs> Not that we know of. Not that we know of. Okay.
2: Wow. You know, I read a thing once about someone and they describe them as a socialized psychopath, someone who can make their way in the world and has no moral center, but can pretend to have it better than most people. It strikes me that he might be someone like that. Like, do you have a sense of what his most motivation was? Or I don't know, his psychological makeup, something in his childhood or, or like, because the movie doesn't really go into that and nor should it, I suppose. But I'm just wondering at this distance now, what do you think made
1: him tick? Well, it's funny you should ask that because we've actually made a podcast which looks into that. So we've, oh. we've got a companion podcast called The Making of a Swindler. Wow. Which will okay. be released in the days after the film, date TBC, sometime in the week okay. after the film gets released. Wow. Because, like you say, we absolutely, it was very important to us that we did not make the, yeah. the film A Study of Simon. However, we are aware that there's a curiosity you know Mm -hmm. how did he get to be like this so that's what we explore in the three episodes so we look at the three identities of Simon that that he used like so there's Simon Levive and then in the second episode we look into Mordecai Tapiro which is the identity that he was using when he Mm. was arrested in Finland and then in the third episode we look into his childhood when he was still Shimon Hyatt And we also, we use a a forensic psychologist in the podcast who looks exactly into what you're talking about, like what exactly is up with Simon. So um, that should tell you a little bit more about that side. Yeah, okay,
2: I I look forward to that. Uh, Is that going to be on Spotify and places like
1: that? It'll be where you can get all of your podcasts. Okay.
2: Okay, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Let's, I won't go down a rabbit hole and start plugging your podcast when I should be talking about your Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Tell me this. Uh, and it, the great news is that I, this is a, a movie and TV show you're talking to me on. And I have given positive reviews to the previous two documentaries that you were both producers on, uh, Don't effort Cats and uh, Fear City, New, The Mafia Thank Versus New York. Bernie, if I just ask you quickly about that, I fascinated by 1970s and 1980s New York kind of I was a kid and we all wanted to go to New York and you know New York was going down the tubes in the 70s and even the music I grew up on like Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen and they're all about that kind of place that was a great documentary and it was to me the right length it was four episodes there was there was no flabby stuff you know I I know you were a producer on it you weren't the director but I'm sure you were highly involved was that a invigorating experience to go back to that time
1: oh yeah yeah Oh, yeah, it was, there's nothing cooler, really. Than yeah. kind of like the, and also, I probably shouldn't say this, but there's kind of nothing cooler than kind of going into the Italian mob in those eras <laughs> as well. I mean, obviously, yeah. they were very bad boys, but, you know, all of the veller the tracksuits and the chains and the Brooklyn and the cannolis. So it was, it was a great period of time to go back in. so it was like the inspiration for The Godfather and Carly mm, Way and all of yeah. those kind of movies. So to speak firsthand to the FBI agents who were so involved with bringing down yeah. what was an extremely sophisticated um, crime, organized crime unit was, was great. And kind of mm. what we were trying to do in Fierce City was kind of not glamorize the mob too much no, really no. let the FBI have their day. Yeah. So that, that was really important to us. And the, all of the agents were really happy with how that all panned out. But yeah, no, it was great. I got to spend loads of time in New York as well, which is always nice. Never so, a bad thing. Yeah. Never a bad thing.
2: And then Felicity with Don't F with Cats. Uh, My kids listen to this, so I have to do the the Star (laughs) Wars, you know. Uh, Not that it wasn't a great movie, but it was really, really successful and popular. Were you surprised by... The reaction to it, I wondered, like, is it something? Did it strike a moment in time to do with, you know, because the byline of is it catching an internet killer? I think mm. is the, the phrase. Like, it was wildly popular, and I remember at one time everyone was watching it, like mm. in the radio station I worked with. Were you surprised by just how gripped people were by it? I Maybe you that, weren't. <laughs> no, we
4: were. We totally were. I think we knew ourselves that it was an amazing story, and that you know, the Deanna and John Green, the internet sleuths, were. Just so brilliant to spend time with They're such great storytellers. Mm. I think that it was—it's like a true crime. adjacent, you know, it's true crime, but it's not classic no. kind of you know cops, robbers, yeah, um, or you know women being murdered kind of thing. It's it's slightly, and I just think it just captured a kind of a zeitgeist. Um, you know, I think that it was great that there was so much stuff that happened on Facebook, and mm. I think that you know. The appetite for true crime, the way that true crime has been something that we all watch, means that we all sit at home thinking that we're kind of like internet sleuths or sleuth yeah. ourselves, and I think it really, um, it really tapped into that. I know that Deanna, for instance, you know, has got so much feedback from kids at home or you know older kids at home, sort of saying how cool she is and how amazing it is what she did and. Um, I just think it was an unexpected story and took sort of mega unexpected twists and turns and then had that great title um, that sort of hit people in too. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, it definitely did. Listen, uh, finally then, Bernie, I do these a lot and I talk to American directors and English actresses and all that kind of stuff. I don't often get to talk to fellow countrywomen in the world of (laughs) big, big time TV and movie documentaries. You're uh, you're from the North, is that right? Or whereabouts are you from the Emerald Isle? Portstewart Candy Dairy. Ah, lovely! Right by the sea and right caravans and
1: golf courses and all that. <laughs> yes, right beside each other. <laughs> wonderful,
2: wonderful, great. Well, I just I always like to Irish it up at the end. Well, <laughs> listen, I better go. the The movie is is fantastic. I'm sorry, I should probably call it a documentary, but yeah. the, the the two hours <laughs> makes it feel like a like a movie. And as I say, it's the perfect length. So I'll be telling everyone to watch it and thanks a lot for chatting to me.
1: Oh thanks so much. Thank you.
2: Felicity Morris and Bernie Higgins there talking to me about making The Tinder Swindler which is now on Netflix since the 2nd of February. I kept calling it a movie that's a tribute to it really because it was two hours of just gripping entertainment so I guess in my head I was thinking of it as a movie but it is a documentary just to be clear and a damn fine documentary it is too as I say, now available to stream on Netflix. Up next Mark Ryle stares deep into the eyes of Tammy Faye Now you're welcome back to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy. Now we turn to the week's new cinema releases, and this week we're looking at The Eyes of Tammy Faye, all about the famous TV evangelist couple uh, Tammy Faye and Jim Baker, and also a very different movie called The Souvenir Part 2. I'm joined now by our own cinematic evangelist, Mark Ryle. Hello, sir. How are you?
0: Hey Cowboy, how you doing?
2: Very well, very well. I like you calling me Cowboy, I have to say. Do you like me calling you a cinema evangelist?
0: <laughs> it's your nickel. Yeah.
2: So listen, uh, the eyes of Tammy Faye in cinemas mm. this week. I should have mentioned the stars Jessica Chastain and uh, Andrew Garfield, as the aforementioned Tammy and Jim. Just remind our listeners or, or tell our listeners what this is about.
0: Well, it's about burning for all eternity in the fires of hell, or I suppose more specifically how that can be avoided by giving away all of your money. Um, it is about uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, who are probably not well-known on this side of the Atlantic, but during the 1970s and the 80s, they were uh, the Ken and Barbie of tele-evangelism. Mm. and They raised millions of dollars every year by uh, targeting the gullible. Um, and the eyes of Tammy Faye. It's it's based. There was also a documentary from two thousand uh, called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. It is it charts their uh, the, the rise and the inevitable fall, um, from their first meeting in nineteen sixty, um, as a pair of who woo each other by quoting Bible verse, um, and then through their the founding of their own Christian satellite network called Praise the Lord.
2: And we should mention, you know, people, if you ever see some of those shows like on Sky or whatever about, you know, the 80s or the 70s, you will occasionally see clips of Jim Baker on TV crying about, Mm. you know, misdeeds, usually of a sexual nature or a financial nature that he's fessed up to. So they had a blighted career in terms of, you know, the media. They
0: did. I suppose most people would have a, a, a vague knowledge of, of of that whole thing. Yeah, um, it's, it's one of those only in America things. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: And we don't really have, t- well, at all TV evangelists over here, but obviously it was certainly, I mean, it still is to a certain extent, but it was a big deal certainly in the 70s and 80s, and I think to the 90s to a lesser extent. So what did you make of this?
0: Um, I, th- I, th- I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's not particularly original or unique. Um, but it is very, very enjoyable. I would I'd call it amusing rather than funny. Um, mm. I guess Jim and Tammy Fay are ridiculous enough without adding jokes on top. I do think it could have embraced the surreal a little bit more. It reminded me uh, uh, quite a bit of Behind the Candelabra, the Steven Soderbergh mm. Liberace movie. Um, and I would have liked to have seen this go full on with the excess and the gold toilets. and. Um, mm. Like Oscar Wilde says, nothing succeeds like excess.
2: Mm. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Let's talk about Jessica Chastain in particular, because she was completely transformed. She, you barely knew who she was at times. What, what actress it was? She so inhabits the character of Tammy Faye, and Tammy Faye, the way she plays her, is you're almost not sure if she's an innocent abroad and in all mm. of the misdeeds that are going on. Exactly. I thought you, I thought she was brilliant. As yeah, Tammy yeah. Faye.
0: I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. I would be shocked if, uh, Chastain didn't get a best actress nomination when the Mm. Oscar nominations are out shortly. It's, it's a, it's a really big unsubtle performance and you can almost smell the foundation and the cheap perfume. Mm. Um, but from, from start to finish, she goes through a, a complete metamorphosis. It's, it's a very slow transformation from a young woman into a complete, uh, I suppose, grotesque for want of a better term. Um, and Chastain really disappears completely into the role, and by the end, she's completely unrecognizable under uh, what I would describe as military-grade weaponized makeup. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's also got those little vocal tics on that annoying little laugh that 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 comes before every line of dialogue. And Tammy Faye had that. She's also it, it, she's a bit like a character from Fargo. She's got that Minnesota nice yes. inflection going on, um, but it's it's an incredible. It really is. It's, it's a really incredible performance. Andrew Garfield, I think he's cursed with a young face, if you know what I mean mm-hmm. by that. Yeah. You disagree? No, no, I
2: don't. I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. He still seemed very young, even when he was playing an old guy.
0: He does. I think by the end of it, Jim Baker was supposed to be in his 50s. But, but Garfield kind of still looks like a 20-year-old guy in an old man makeup.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. But but playing someone who was slimy and sickly and n- trying to be charming but not charming, just weird and odd. I thought he did that very well, despite how youthful he looked.
0: He does. No, it's it's a it's a good performance, and I, I he might get a nod as well. Who knows? Um, it's mm. just yeah, he does. He looks very very young. And um, the thing about. The, the the movie is that I think it's sympathetic almost to a fault towards Tammy Faye Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, and that presents a bit of a problem because yes, she is a ridiculous character. She's she's tasteless and and and, and deluded and obviously narcissistic. But I think the the movie's fundamental flaw is that it, it frames her as a person whose only fault was that she believed her own uh let's call it verbal manure.
2: Mm-hmm. Um
0: And in doing so, she's not a bad person. She does have a kind streak. And also back in the 1980s, at the height of the the AIDS epidemic, she was a prominent and and very visible ally of the gay community um, at a time when being so was not very popular at all.
2: Certainly, if you're a member of the Christian right. So do you think that they let her off the hook a bit in this? I
0: do. I do. Mm. Because it it leaves the question open whether she was simply naive about where all this money was coming from, which seems highly unlikely. or whether she was more calculating. Um, And I think by treating her with with humanity, which it does, it it, it kind of hedges its bets a bit. It also, on the point of of Jim Baker, it it isn't quite so clear-cut either, and it kind of bottles it a bit in not spelling out exactly how awful a character he was and what he did, or what he allegedly did to his his secretary. And I think... Jessica I think Chastain says something along the lines of oh that poor girl at one time but there was it's it glossed over and there was more going on there than than just fraud
2: yeah no absolutely and and it's only a click away on Google to see what really went down it's funny you should say it the, the bit about her uh being an advocate for homosexuals and, and also during the eighties when AIDS started to become rife I actually thought they they would have and should have made more of that because in a way, in terms of the side of the angels, that's what she's, aside from all the financial misappropriation and the pretty god awful singing that she did, she's remembered as being a, a gay icon for what, what she did for the gay community at a time that wasn't popular. I actually thought they would have made more of that.
0: Yeah, I think I think she, that she became that. After retrospectively, the, retrospectively, okay. a, the, the documentary, the 2000 documentary that was uh, narrated by RuPaul. And she has like in the years since become a gay icon.
2: Yeah, there are some very funny scenes in it as well, though, it has yeah. to be said. Uh, so like I, I, I enjoyed it for the most part, but I agree with what you're saying about where they may be balked a small bit. So what would you say stars wise for the eyes of Tammy Faye?
0: Um, I'm going to give it three and a half because it, it really is an enjoyable watch, and, yeah. and Ch- Chastain is excellent.
2: Yeah, I'm going to give it three and a half as well. I kind of knew pretty much what was going to happen the whole way, but 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 I enjoyed it, uh, even knowing where I thought it was going to go. You know, yeah, I really, yeah. I really, really kind of like the end as well. So <laughs> that's three and a half for Mark. I'm going to give it three and a half as well. Let's take a quick clip. As
3: well. My eyes are permanently lined, and my eyebrows are permanently on, so the, there's not a whole lot you can do. <laughs> my goodness, I, I didn't know. Have you never done pictures without those eyelashes? Nope, nope, and I never will, because that's my trademark. And you know, if I take that away, then it's not me. And no one's gonna wanna look at me without my trademark, so I hold on to that. Even if we soften them up no. and kept... no, you can do anything you want. But my eyelashes stay right where they are. That's really you. Oh, mm. well,
2: yeah, this is who I am. <laughs> That's Jessica Chastain uh, playing Tammy Faye in The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is in cinemas this Friday. That's the 4th of February, and Mark and I gave it three and a half stars. Now, Mark, uh, I saw that movie, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see The Souvenir Part 2, an unlikely mm. sequel. What's this all about?
0: Well, I'm going to make myself very unpopular now. Um, the Souvenir was uh written and directed by joanna hogg um it was incredibly well received it was a semi autobiographical movie a base an unhealthy relationship and um hog's experience at film school in london in the 1980s Um i don't believe we covered it when it was released back in 2019 but i did see it afterwards because of all the the, the good press it got it was and it was also it, it, it was named first in sight and sounds film of the year poll in 2019 and incredibly, part two was also named first in the same film poll for 2021, which, quite frankly, I find inconceivable. Um, I'm just going back to The Souvenir, I, I, I thought it was fine. I certainly wouldn't have considered it as one of the best movies I saw in 2019, or in fact, anywhere close, but it was fine. It was um, an interesting study of a, of a dysfunctional and unhealthy relationship, but Part two is basically the same, except with all of the interesting bits removed.
2: And what's happening in part two? What's so, making it different in part two?
0: Again, it's set in the nineteen eighties, and uh, Julie, who's the the main character, is played by uh, Honor Swinton Byrne. She is in her final year of. Uh, of films uh, college. And she's a student living in Knightsbridge. She's working on a graduate film. And as we join her at the beginning, she's struggling to piece to tear her life back together. Now, I don't think that fans of the souvenir would be as militant about spoilers as the, the comic book crowd. So I think I can say without any risk of, of personal harm that Julie's boyfriend, Anthony died of a, an overdose at the end of the previous film. So, uh-huh at the start of this, she's trying to move on from that and to finish her end of year film. And I have already made it sound way more interesting than it actually is.
2: Well, here's the thing, right? I didn't get to see this this week. So I just had a quick Google around and yeah. I, I, it's getting rave reviews. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what I'm sensing, well, I know you, you really didn't like it.
0: I, I just, I, I, can't, I can't, I can't fathom how <laughs> because why you were bored it's it's i was bored rigid it's it, it's a it's an incredibly self-indulgent movie and okay. i think the fundamental problem with it is that is that um joanna hogg seems to think that we are going to find her own life as interesting and as charming and as fascinating as she does herself or as her friends do or as her super supportive mother does and that, I'm afraid is just simply not the case. The overriding impression I had of The Souvenir Part 2 was that I was on the outside looking in and somehow I was missing all of the interesting bits and I wasn't getting the subtext. And as I said I seem I'm I'm absolutely in the, the minority. I don't tend to read much about stuff before we've covered them. But mm-hmm. I do know that this has been universally praised right across the board. I, I you'd be hard pressed to find A dissenting voice anywhere, but I have to say, I I was bored rigid.
2: Wow. And so, you know, the way she's making a movie uh, about her own life, are there a lot of, I get the impression from the few reviews I read that it's quite, you know, cinema literate or it it, it plays to the idea of filmmaking and the process of filmmaking.
0: It does. Um, (laughs) There's a scene. So so what? You're going to say, right? (laughs) there's a scene where julia is she's having a critique with her tutors about the script that she's submitted for her graduate film and it doesn't go down well at all one of the tutors says uh something along the lines of well we want to encourage innovation and young filmmakers finding their own voices but we also w- encourage professional practice um, but i look at this and i don't see anything that resembles what i think of as a professional script and I, I have to say I was with the tutors on that one. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just at a complete loss as to what Hogg was trying to achieve because nothing happens. There is, there's an awful lot of behind-the-scenes stuff of Julie shooting her film. And if you don't know, shooting a film isn't particularly interesting. There's a lot of waiting around. Mm. And not enough happens to justify, I think, the existence of part two. Uh, A sugar bowl is broken at around the one hour mark and I nearly fell off my chair because that was that was that was that was the most exciting thing that happened. Um, like also the the graduate film that she's making, it ends up, of course, being about her relationship with Anthony from from the the previous movie. And even in the context of the movie within the movie, the actors who are playing Julia and Anthony, they can't understand what 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 was so special about Anthony and what. It was in the relationship that was so extraordinary that it deserves to be explored. And they are people, they are characters in the movie right. who don't even.
2: <laughs> wow, this is getting very meta.
0: It, well, I mean, it's not, I'm making, probably overcomplicating this, but yeah, even the people in the movie don't realize Goodness. what it is that is so <laughs> extraordinary about, about the know. movie that they're in. Yeah.
2: yeah. Okay. So, uh, what would you say, stars wise?
0: Um, I'm not in. the I'm I don't share the consensus on this at all. But to be, okay. It was, it was barely a movie. It's barely a film. I, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna give it a very, very generous two.
2: Wow. Okay. Well, it was sight and sounds movie of 2021. But you I, get yeah. you get the truth here, or you get honest opinion. You know. Well,
0: you get something. I mean, I just don't get it. <laughs> I don't. That's care. fair
2: enough. That's why you're here. That's why we pay you those big bucks. I'm always telling you, bring bring Mark every week. That's all we want, Mark. So that is two, and it sounds like a generous two for yeah. the souvenir part. Two. I am going to have to check that out, even though you're saying I shouldn't bother. But I'm really intrigued now. Yeah, you
0: know? I'm not saying don't check it out, but by all means, watch it. But yeah. I mean, I God, I did, I I didn't get it.
2: Okay. Well that that that's cool. That's cool. So that's two for the souvenir part 2 which is in selected cinemas from this Friday the 4th of February. Thanks a lot Mark. Thanks John. Mark Royal there chatting to me about the disappointing The Souvenir Part 2 and also before that, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, both of which movies are in cinemas this week. The Eyes of Tammy Faye, as you heard us saying there, is a pretty good movie, which would be worth your while going to a cinema to see it. Up next, singer-songwriter Alton Conlon on his favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and movie show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone about their favourite movie. Ulton Conlon is one of Ireland's most respected singer-songwriters with a style that's swell hard to categorise with a unique voice that many have compared to the late, great Roy Orbison. He's ser- shared stages and songs with everyone from Jackson Brown to the also late, great John Martin and is even opened for Brian Ferry. Last year his single Penny Sweets got a huge amount of radio airplay and I'm delighted to say he joined joins me now to chat about his favourite movie. Alton, how are you?
5: John, good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for asking me on.
2: My pleasure. Now, we were uh, exchanging texts and you came in with your favourite movie and I was just chuffed. Uh,
5: really? with,
2: without pretension. You just said this was your favourite <laughs> movie. So, will you tell our listeners what it is and why?
5: Well, I was, I was, you know, I was going to go with The Lives of Others or Schindler's List or something, you know, uh, which are movies that when I watched, I loved, you know, and I put them up there. Mm. But I just kind of had to go, what movie kind of overall experience wise and kind of means the most to me and has kind of lived throughout my, you know, with me throughout my life. And I would have to go with uh, Back to the Future and I'd probably have to say Back to the Future 1 and 2 if that's okay.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And, I mean, I think everyone listening to this show knows what it's about. Marty McFly traveling in time with Doc Brown back to meet his mother and all that. But why Why did you love it or why does it have such an effect on you? Or why has it lasted with you so long?
5: Well, I guess I actually watched it at Christmas. I watched part 1 and 2. It was being shown over two days and yeah. it happened to be on and... I didn't turn it off. That in itself was a great sign. <laughs> it, it it stands up still. You yeah. know, and that was the thing for me as a movie. um, Just scene for scene. It just it goes along perfectly. There's not a dud scene in there. Mm-hmm. And just the plot is so fascinating in itself. I think where he goes back and he's. It's, it's bonkers, really. His mum falls for him and stuff like that. And, and I love the folklore behind it, that, like, you know, it took four years to get this made and no studio wanted to touch it, you know? Yeah. And then you've got characters like um, the actor Crispin Glover is in it, mm. who's was just an insane character in his own right. Mm. And he, he puts in this amazing performance as George McFly. And Michael J. Fox just it would have been such a different movie as well. Yeah. I know that they, they they filmed it for a few months with another lead actor. Isn't that correct?
2: Yeah, Eric Stoltz. And it just didn't work, you know?
5: Yeah, and I even researched some of that before. I remember going back and you could see some of the clips of mm. um, Eric Stoltz. In it, and he's a much more serious actor. So it left me wondering, with this movie being the same, it's kind of like everything works in it. Yeah. And there's so many aspects to it. And I just think it's like when you look back at Star Wars and stuff, it, that doesn't stand up for me um, anymore. You know, I think that's just gathered this kind of thing over time where people just still say it's great. But I think um, back to the future has all them ingredients where it is just a great movie and the soundtrack and everything. Huey Lewis, the eighties. I grew up that time as well, John. So I saw back to the future too, in the cinema in Lochray in 1989, you know, so it just has everything for me in it, in it, you know?
2: Yeah. And tell me this then, part three, does that leave you slightly cold or how do you feel about when they go out west and cowboys <laughs> and Indians?
5: You know what? I saw it back then. And I believe, because I remember being in the cinema, I was nine years of age or 10, because it probably came to Loch Gray like a year or two after it was released. And I remember I'd seen something at the end of, Part two that I'd never seen in the movie It's like here comes part three And they Mm. showed you a tip of it Because they were filming back to back Yeah. So I did go to see three And no at the time as a kid I loved it, I did, I loved the trilogy as a kid Now I did see part three in the last Few years and it left me a little uh, I, I don't know yeah. A little unnecessary, maybe, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's i I think I agree with you. It's the it's the weaker of the three. Uh, but hey, you know, two out of three ain't bad, it's Dear Departed Meatloaf sang. Tell me this. <laughs> Didn't you see this in on Back to the Future Day with an orchestra in New York or something?
5: Yes, I was in New York in two thousand and fifteen doing a couple of shows and my sister and a friend of hers came over on a, a break. For a little holiday and we just were looking up stuff to do and coincidentally it was october 21st 2015 and in radio city music hall they were shown back to the future with a live orchestra Hmm. we got our tickets we went along it was great the the movie stood up and to hear the score with the live orchestra was amazing and christopher lloyd came out at the end and it was just full of geeks full of So I tried my best to, you know, fit in. <laughs> but just that experience to go and see it, you know, because back to the future too, when I was a kid, when I was nine or 10, I mean, the idea of going into the future mm. was just something you could do in your, you know, in your imagination back then. Yeah. And to be in New York, and when I was that age, I think when we all were in Ireland, we were fascinated with American culture yeah. and TV and movies. So I guess for my older self, to be in new york in 2015 you know the kid in me and, yeah. and the geek in me as well the, that bit of a geek in me or whatever i should say there sorry that kind that's of that fine,
2: app- that's fine that's fine appe- geeks shall inherit the earth <laughs>
5: <time>. <laughs> so that appeals to me as well john you know just yeah. to be in new york at that stage of my life and watch that so back to the future for me you know When I I say my favorite movie, I think it's definitely up there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, that's lovely described and heartfelt. Now, you're too nice a man for me to argue, but I'm a huge Star Wars devotee. So normally I kick people off the show who complain
5: about it having dated. But you know what? what I think it's killed them, John. I think I, I actually I like the prequels. Would you believe it? Okay. I think these the last few years, they've just I if they'd left it at that. Yeah, I can, I can see the
2: argument for that. But look, we're talking about Back to the Future, so yes. let's stay in the light. <laughs> so listen, aside from the movies, you're a musician. I'm wondering, because I met you a couple of years ago in a radio studio a couple of times, and you're always or regularly introduced by this Roy Orbison comparison. And I was thinking, even as I said it, does it, does it peeve you, does it get you down that that's followed you around, or is it just an incredible compliment?
5: Uh, being truthful about it, I love Roy Ar- I love Roy Orbison. I absolutely yeah. one of my favorites. And again, um, even the Back to the Future thing in the fifties. does it have that yeah, kind
2: of. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it yeah. has
5: that Roy Orbison feel. Yeah, look, it's lovely that I can be described as that. I don't believe it personally. <laughs> if I'm being quite frank, I I certainly can't cover the amount of octaves that Roy Orbison could cover. But look, at it it's a lovely compliment, and maybe there's something in the soul there that uh, comparison and if that's the case I'm, I'm thrilled with that John
2: Lovely, and tell me this, Penny Sweets right, I mentioned it was it was a big uh, it got a lot of radio airplay last year, you know it's a song on some level ostensibly about cola bottles and gobstoppers and it's a great song don't get me wrong, were you surprised by the life that kind of had last year
5: I I I wasn't. I, I wrote the song last October. I was chatting to a young kid, and he started on about penny sweets out and over, saying, "Oh, when my dad was a kid, he could get these, you know, uh, a sweet for a penny, so he could get ten for ten p." And this kid was fascinated, and it just brought me back as well. And I, I wanted to share his fascination, you know. Yeah. So I wrote this song, just a bit tongue in cheek, two and a half minutes long. It, it comes and it goes very quick and uh, a bit of a sugar rush in itself. So I recorded it and I was really pleased to record. And so I said, no, I'm going to put this out immediately because uh, back in November as well, the news was very bleak and yeah. the, everything was a bit bleak. And I said, you know something, this could work right now. It's fun. It'll take people back. So it was a bit of a strategy in that sense. No, I felt like that could do pretty well. You know, it could catch people's imagination. And um, I'm, I'm glad it did. Yeah, no,
2: it certainly did. And it's a gorgeous song and I would urge people to check it out. I was only listening to it a few hours ago to remind Um, myself. I want to ask you about your podcast, but en route to that, I mentioned, obviously you've played all your own shows and headlined all sorts of places, but you've done one or two big opening acts. And I remember you being in News Talk right before you did Brian Ferry. The, The sensation of opening for someone like that, what's that like when you have a sense that, you know, there's probably some people who are going to see you, but most people are there to see someone like Brian Ferry. It must be a great kind of live stage training almost not to be the main act, but to be on before the main act, it must really strengthen your backbone as a performer.
5: Yeah, it certainly does. Look, you do go to these gigs really thrilled that you are getting to open for a legend. I opened for John Fogerty as well from Clearwater yeah. in the, um, in the tree arena. So look at first and foremost, you're kind of just thrilled to be doing this gig before a, a star like that. Uh, you are conscious of, you know, you're very much, very much the bridesmaid. Yes. Uh, <laughs> in a show like that, but look, at you get to play on a massive stage. I got to bring my band with me. You get yeah. to play for a big audience. So you are look at you're you're building character all the time. I mean, I do mainly my own shows now, and of I, course. I, I I rather that because. Look, you get to showcase a full set. You get yeah. more comfortable as the gig goes on. People are there to hear you. So yeah. it does up your game more. But look, it's saying that now I, I'm opening for Eddie Reeder, who I absolutely love throughout Ireland and Scotland at the end of March and April. And But Eddie comes and sings with me and stuff. So she, mm-hmm. she makes it. She includes me a lot. Yeah. But look, look at, it's amazing. I mean, when you mention it there, I supported Ryan Ferry. I, I have to pinch myself yeah. you know, Or and, and uh, share the stage, as you mentioned, with Jackson Brown in L.A., that's the kind of thing when I'm I'm walking here in East Galway, I kind of stop every now and then. And go, wow, that 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 was pretty cool, you know? Yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah.
2: And then finally, so the podcast. So this is is something unusual in that you you kind of you people can listen to your music on it, but also you talk about the writing of songs. You'll occasionally have guests. What is it exactly for the uninitiated?
5: <laughs> well, I did a couple of Facebook live shows at the end of last year. And I was amazed at the kind of the amount of people who tuned in from around Mm. the world and requested songs. And and I did not like forecast myself doing this podcast, but I said I'd sign up to Patreon Mm -hmm. to see how that goes. And a bunch of people signed up and and pay me every month on that. So my immediate thing was I got kind of anxious going, well, I really want to put up some interesting content. I don't want these people just kind of funding me, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I just couldn't sit well with that, John. So I just went to the mic and I, I hit record because I have all the studio gear at home, you know, mm-hmm. top quality gear. So I said, well, look, just just start talking, see what happens. So I just started chatting Then I would play a song and I would post that. I've been doing that every week. And uh, two weeks ago, I'd marry Coughlin, a good friend of mine. Called around for dinner and we sat in front of the mics for an hour and we just had a conversation. So mm-hmm. it wasn't an interview like you would do with, with people on here, mm-hmm. you know, it was really just a chat.
2: Right. Uh, okay. A
5: long form chat and we didn't even touch on music that often. It was okay. just fun and um, it's been going down really well. And, you know, I find I've been loving it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of went there and set the mic up and I just chat and, and people have been <laughs> responding really well to it. So again, it's just fascinating kind of what you can do from a little house in East Galway with fibre broadband. I tell you. And yeah. so
2: finally, finally then, if people want to know more about this, more about upcoming gigs, your own gigs, uh, new music releases, where should they go?
5: Well, look, I'm, I'm on all the socials, of course, but ultonconlon.com is my website, and the, the Patreon is patreon.com forward slash ultonconlon. Lovely. So- Everything is up there, John.
2: Wonderful. Well, I suggest people check it out because, as I say, Alton has a unique voice. His favorite movie is Back to the Future One and Two. Three, to a lesser extent, he is one of Irish music's true gentlemen. Alton continued success.
5: Thanks for having me, John. Same to yourself.
3: God, you gotta help me. You were the only one who knows how your time machine works. Time machine. I haven't invented any time machine. Okay. All right. I'll prove it to you. Look at my driver's license. It expires 1987. Look at my birthday, for crying out loud. I, I haven't even been born yet. And look at this picture. It's my brother, my sister, and me. Look at her sweatshirt, Doc. Class of 1984.
0: Some pretty mediocre photographic fakery. They cut off your mother's hair.
3: I'm telling the truth, Doc. you got to believe me. Then tell me, future boy. <laughs> Who's president of the United States in 1985? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan? The actor? Huh. Then who's vice president? Jerry Lewis. A clip
2: there from the great Back to the Future. As chosen by singer-songwriter Ulton Conlon as his favourite movie. And my thanks to Ulton. And please do check out his music because he has a unique voice and a unique style of songwriting and uh, he's a delightful listen that is it for this week my thanks to Anne-Marie Kane who helped out on the show this week as she does every week if you want to get in touch with me at any stage john underscore is my twitter handle or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com enjoy the rest of your weekend stay safe take care and I'll talk to you all next week